Welcome to the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast, hosted by the rock star of consulting, Alan Weiss. Be prepared to have your beliefs challenged and your behaviors questioned. Welcome back to the Uncomfortable Truth. It's my great pleasure today to have with me Randy Gage, who he says I've known for 100 years, but I've actually probably known for about 30 uh, Randy is, uh, among a lot of uh, uh, independent thinkers, one of the guys really out on the edge of independent thinking. Uh, he's written uh, how many books, Randy? Fourteen. Fourteen books. So uh, I'm a I am a slouch compared to you. Okay, that's true, but still, fourteen is not bad. <laughs> and uh, he's just a, a a great great source of original thinking. Uh, my favorite line he ever said to me, just in passing, when we were in a, a group together, was. Listen, you don't cure poverty by creating more poverty. Uh, and that has struck with me ever since. So, Randy, welcome to The Uncomfortable Truth. It's great to be on with you. I, I know you best. and I know you for a lot of things. But I know you best for your work and commenting on prosperity. Uh, and that's taken a lot of forms. Uh, tell me how you regard prosperity. What does it mean and, and why is it so important? I look at it very holistically. Most people perceive it in one of two wrong ways, I believe. Uh, the majority of people believe it as rich. Okay, if somebody's rich, they're prosperous. And obviously, we have a lot of examples of people who are extremely wealthy, and you would never want to have their life. And you would never confuse that with uh, living a prosperous, harmonious life. But the second misconception I think you find is the people who say, well, yes, I'm so prosperous. I have great relationships and I have my help um, and I just don't have the money thing. I haven't figured that out. And I think, no, that's that's not prosperous either. It's uh, I, I just came back from Waikiki. You know, we were emailing back and forth and. I was, you know, I go for breakfast in the morning. I order a bowl of oatmeal. It's twenty three dollars. <laughs> and it's not like like I was at an incredible restaurant last night, Joel Robachan here in the design district, right? It's probably $500 a person, but it's a chef and he's doing his unique thing. He's dead, but his chefs who carried on, you know, they're creating. But the oatmeal is Quaker Oats. It's the same Quaker Oats that you buy in Publix for $1.89 or $4 or whatever it costs. And they're charging $23 a thing. And every time, you know, you take your car in the shop, you go to the dentist, you realize, no, you can't live a prosperous life without money. If you're worried about paying the rent, if you're worried about grocery money, how many people are rationing their insulin or their, you know, not, I always, you know, I go to the dentist and the bill's four grand. And I say, how do poor people do this? And then I remember. When I was poor, I didn't go to the dentist. That's how they do it. So to me, prosperity is you got the money and material things out of the way. You've got great health. You have a harmonious mindset. And you have a spiritual connection, whether it's God or uh, the nature or the universe or some kind of thing that it's a spiritual sustenance to you. Uh, and you have choices. You have freedom and choices. And to me, that's what a prosperous life sh looks like. Now, that's interesting. A lot of people have said to me, which absolutely makes me go ballistic, that uh, we need humility. 
And they seem to act that humility in a manner where it's self-degrading, it's self-effacing, that's being humble. I think humility is about recognizing the worth of other people uh, and not uh, uh, assuming that you're better, but recognizing that they have their worth, you have your worth. Uh, but you know, nobody wants a humble doctor. They want a surgeon who thinks he or she is God. Nobody wants a humble attorney. Nobody wants a humble coach for that matter, I don't think. How do you feel about that? Do you think humility is overrated? Do you think it's an excuse where people say, I'm not better than I am because, you know, I've taken a humble path. I think the biggest problem that the uh, that I see with people who read my books or come to my seminars and their prosperity is stuck, it's because they have worthiness issues. They got it from organized religion. They got it from their parents. They got it from social media. There's you get a thousand messages a day beating you down, telling you, listen, if you just got pec transplants and if you just <laughs> had um, this uh, augmentation, if you put more Botox in your lips, if you get, you know what I mean? There's nothing is enough. You All the all these neurotic kids today and depressed kids and suicidal kids because their their view of the world comes from social media of all these filtered fake posts on Instagram and where people are putting their best foot forward. That's like rampant all over everything. The, the whole data sphere, media, social media, books, TV shows, movies, everything. So there's so much of this, I'm not worthy. So that's where you get so many of those people who are, the, the, you know, they're trying to give a, a spiritual element to humility that it probably doesn't deserve because there is uh, one of the most influential writers for me was Ayn Rand, which a lot of people really chafe at. But and of course, Atlas and Fountainhead are her greatest hits, but she actually wrote a collection of short essays and called The Virtue of Selfishness. And that was one of the most powerful books for me to read that because um, it's all, everybody knows this at their core basically is if you don't get your own needs met first, you can't help anyone. People say, what about Mother Teresa? I say, I sent money to Mother Teresa every month. She actually had a shelter here in Miami for uh, abused uh, women and children. And I was a supporter of it. So I was like, yeah, you could talk about Mother Teresa is pious and poor. No, she needs money just like anyone else does. Right. And but going back to this issue of of humility, I in my I guess it was the the risky is a new safe book, maybe, or the mad genius. I looked at the the real top level achievers in the world, people who really have done stuff at very high levels, whether it's Oprah Winfrey or Mark Cuban or LeBron James or whoever. And they all have very healthy egos and they don't they don't need pious, fake humility. They're I'm very proud to say I'm amazing at some things. I'm a Hall of Fame speaker like you are, right? I'm a great writer. I'm an incredible marketer. I'm a great softball player. And I'm a terrible brain surgeon. You wouldn't want me fixing your car. You wouldn't want me, you know what I mean? I know the stuff I'm not good at. And it doesn't serve anyone to pretend 
that uh, to to put to not step into their greatness, to not embrace the stuff they're really good at and be proud of that. When I uh, took coaching to learn what musical instrument I should play, they told me at the end I shouldn't even try to play the radio. And so <laughs> I had a pretty good idea that that was not for me. I, I read that book by Ayn Rand. I also, she also wrote another book called Anthem. And, um, uh, you know, the oxygen mask principle is help yourself before you can help others. It's a healthy selfishness. I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it seems to me, though, that people today especially have self-worth problems because they feel powerless. Uh, they don't feel that they're in control of very much. Uh, the pandemic exacerbates that. Big government exacerbates that. Arbitrary rules and regulations exacerbate that. And then, as you pointed out, the normative pressure from social media is just terrible. And so I, I think you've talked to people about confidence and self-worth and self-esteem and trying to build that up. Is it is it harder today than ever? What, what do you see in your audiences and in your coaching clients? It is a, a, a million percent harder than ever. Um, I wrote a blog post about it. I, I'm going to send you the link. You got to put it in the show notes for this, all right? right? And I, the title is "Social Media is Killing Your Prosperity." Hmm. And what my conclusion is is, every, there's nobody on earth who can compete with the computer algorithms that those uh, sites are using, right? If And I mentioned this in, in the book as well about like marketers and the algorithms they use. You're, it's very likely Walmart or Amazon would know a woman is pregnant before she might know it herself just by tracking her spending habits of what she's buying, what is the food she's craving, what... If they had any idea how they are just tracked across every site from social media to regular media to news sites to blogs to podcasts to everything, right? And so, and the social media, you you and I are both old enough. To, we remember when you had like news anchors, hmm? Walter Conkrite, well, Conkrite, Con Cronkite, Cronkite. Uh, Peter Jennings, uh, Edward R. Murrow, right? Now, so then Ted Turner comes along and he says, hey, I'm going to start a 24-hour news channel. Well, it used to be those networks did one hour of news or half an hour of news a day, and that's how they got their license. They, you know, the government would say, hey, we'll give you an FCC license for a television thing, but you've got to do so much time of public programming. So that was the news. The news was independent. They didn't take that didn't mix with the advertising department. But when you start CNN and headline news and Fox News Network, now there is no public service. The news has to make a profit there. And there is no profit center in news unless they can get you angry or fearful. So they need clickbait stories. And now all of the social media. They are the guiltiest parties because they need you to be fearful or angry. And they want you to uh, want a virtue signal, right? So if you look at the different platforms, um, certain platforms like an Instagram and a TikTok, the danger they face is they just turn you into a complete narcissist. You think, wow, every time I get uh, the waitress brings me a plate, I need to take a picture of this and post it on my account. 
And every time I go to the beach and every time I'm on vacation and when I get a new car and when I get a new house, and I'm going to show people. And then every time I do something noble, if I send some money to a charity or I rescue a puppy, I'm going to put it on social media to show everybody what a good Christian or a good Jew or a good humanitarian or a good whatever I am. And then you have Twitter and Truth Social and the other ones, which is just political polarization. And they, if can I riff for two, three minutes on this with an example? That's, that's what you were doing. Go right ahead. I want to go deeper. One of the things I write in this blog post is how people get so jaded, angry, judgmental, confrontational. And the longer they stay on social media, the more this happens. And it happens because of those computer algorithms. So here's the thought experiment. I'll challenge anyone listening to this. You come up with the most crazy cockamamie conspiracy theory you can. And then put it on your social media and say, I know this sounds really crazy, but I'm hearing that there is a secret cabal of international terrorists and they are they are killing school teachers with red Toyotas. And I know this is crazy, but has, has anybody heard anything about this? And watch what happens. People are going to say, well, you know, my sister-in-law was a teacher and she died mysteriously. Someone else is going to come in and say, I was watching the news last Tuesday and there was an accident with a red Toyota. And then somebody's going to post a link, a red Toyota stolen from town and country mall, right? And then somebody will send a story, a teacher dies mysteriously, a teacher goes missing on the Appalachian Trail, a teacher missing from cru cruise line, whatever. And you'll start clicking on some of these links. And by the time you click on the fourth or fifth link, those computer algorithms know exactly what gets you to click. And fast forward, again, the craziest batshit conspiracy theory you can think of. Go back after 120 days, and there will be thousands of people in the world who believe this conspiracy theory, because this is one of the, the symptoms of the what happens with the clickbait with social media. And it's very likely you'll be one of them who believe it because you're just going to get, wow, I, I mean, I just made this up on a LARP, but now I keep getting all this validation. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it, it is, it's the most dangerous issue of our time right now in terms of manifesting mental health and prosperity is social media. I really believe that. And the point is, the higher your IQ is, the more dangerous it is for you because you think, oh, I can, I, they're never going to fool me. I'm so smart. I'm never going to get sucked into this. But you will because they will find what enrages you. They will find what makes you fearful. And by the time you start clicking, I mean, think of how many people you know over the, the course of five years, 10 years. You say, man, since I, they're so much angrier now and they're so, short-tempered and they're so quick triggered and they're so polarized and the whole whether it's you know hillary trump or biden trump or whoever i mean just mask or no mask vaccines or no vaccines 
you we can no longer debate an issue with somebody on social media. We have to dehumanize them so we can attack them because it threatens our who we perceive ourselves as a person. And that's the result of social media. And it's what it it's all and it goes back to worthiness issues and low self-esteem. And again, it's like you you say, well, I can figure this stuff out. I know how manipulation works. Or I'm even if you're a psychologist, you got to understand they hire the world's best psychologists, the world's best computer programmers. They get the best PhDs in algorithms and computer stuff. So there's the only way you have a chance is you say, I'm not going to go on social media or I'm going to like me. I use social media for my business. So and I don't enter Facebook, Instagram, anything. I have a team that posts that stuff for me. The only one I go personally is Twitter. And I literally will put on a timer and say, okay, 10 minutes a day is the most I'm going to spend on that. Because if I spend an hour on Twitter, I can see the difference in my attitude, my, you know, just uh, I know the links that make me you know, shoot my blood pressure up. So it's, I do believe, and, and, you know, we could talk about the negative programming and regular television and regular blogs and regular podcasts and all of that. It's all, so it it is so much harder to keep a, a prosperous mindset today than it's ever been, I believe. I, I don't know how many of my listeners are now worried about red Toyotas, but we'll see. I'm sure it's about it. You know, it's customary for people to say, I'm among the eldest of the baby boomers myself, and it's customary for people to say, well, when I was young, it was so much harder. You know, we had to walk to school barefoot, and we had to use a shovel and use coal to write on it and things like that. But I have a different opinion. I think that uh, I had it easier. Uh, I lived in the inner city. We were poor. But my grammar school education was excellent. The schools were excellent. You didn't crap around with teachers. Everybody, you know, your parents backed up the teachers. And so forth and so on. And for that matter, usually your father was working and your mother wasn't. All right. In my case, my mother did, but it was uncommon. Uh, And so I think it's much more difficult today, given the things that you've just talked about and given the dynamics in the world, uh, for people to get out of school and to get their feet on the ground. You know, in, in 68, we were graduated from college. You were already engaged. You got married in six months. You had kids, you went to other people's weddings and so forth. Very, very different today. Uh, I'm wondering what you think about that. If you think that uh, the, systemically, uh, young people are having a harder time than ever getting adjusted. I do. And uh, we it is that romantic thing. We like to think it was so tough when we grew up. But I share your opinion 100%. I realize. And, and by the way, I, I moved out of the house at 15 years old. I was a teenage alcoholic, a teenage drug addict. I was in jail for armed robbery at 15 years old. So it's not like I came from Ozzy and Harriet, right? You're, you're a real poster boy there. <laughs> yeah. But I still say that was a better time for me than a kid who's 15 or 16 year old today, because there was there was bumper guardrails in place. And I went to, they put me in jail. They got me a public defender who believed in me and thought I deserved another chance. There was a judge who thought I deserved another chance. I took that chance, right? Um, 
that those, a lot of those guide rails they're not in place today and the, the the kids are so neurotic and again social media is a big influence but you can't put it all on that i mean because social media is just the pipes right we always social media just amplifies whatever you said but the difference is if you had a kook in 1975 or 1985 he was the kooky uncle and he regaled everybody with his tinfoil hat conspiracy theories at Thanksgiving dinner. Now he's going to be on Fox News or CNN with like a 15-minute segment in prime time because they need a kook for clickbait. You're an innovative guy. Uh, give me two or three predictions for the future. Business, uh, education, uh, politics, I don't care. Education, I think the college system is probably going to collapse. It just no longer is providing the value it can. They've turned into brands. Harvard is a brand. Yale is a brand. Stanford is a brand. And you can't justify the price of that brand. There will always be people just like uh, Pharrell is now a fashion director for Louis Vuitton. So they just made a, a million-dollar Louis Vuitton bag, handcrafted. So, of course, it's worth a million dollars because one of their artisans sewed it by hand, right? Well, what is that? It's somebody's buying it for their ego, right? So there always will be people who are going to say, I got a Harvard degree or a Yale degree or a whatever degree. But it will be so much because the way technology is moving it changes everything so fast that a college education is pretty much obsolete by the time you get through four years or six years of it now. When you went to college, you came out with a degree that was pretty practical and could provide you with some really useful tools for building your prosperity and making a life for yourself. That's no longer true. Somebody is much better off doing some online study program in six months or six weeks. And so I think the whole college thing, that will have to collapse. I'm really worried about um, just government institutions. There's so much. The government has screwed up. I mean, what do we want governments to do? We want them to protect us from invasion. We want us to, to protect us from medical catastrophe. The one to, right? yeah, right. Keep the trains running on time and everything. And we're just not doing any of those things anymore. And there's so much anti-institution counter-programming that people don't trust Congress. They don't trust the president. They don't trust the media. They don't trust anything. And so, um, I don't know how that ends up well. It, it's, and I, I hate to say this because it sounds like God if Gage is into prosperity. Why has he got such a negative view of the future? Um, but I don't have a negative view of my life for the future or people who seek enlightenment. I just think we're going to have to work a lot harder because we're not, we're going to have to, like, I take charge of my own prosperity. I would never wake up and read a newspaper in the morning anymore. I would never wake up and check the alerts from CNN anymore. I take 30 minutes and I'm listening to a positive podcast. I'm reading a positive book. 
I'm programming myself with to get my consciousness operating where I want it to be. And so, I, you know, to me, I'm, I'm 64 now. I thought two years, you know, at the pandemic, I thought, OK, listen, I've had a good run. The horizon is coming up on me soon. You know, I've been smart with my money. I can I'll kind of ride off into the sunset. And that's how I'm OK with that. I'll just write books, more books. And I'm now, this will be the best year I've ever had in my entire career in 2023. People are just throwing money at me <laughs> to, you know, crawling naked over broken glass and saying, we have to hire you to work with our company or, you know. And so I realized, wow, it, it, yeah, there's a pandemic and yeah, there's a recession and yeah, the government screws up everything and yeah, social media is crazy, but I'm choosing not to participate in that stuff. And I believe anyone listening to this podcast can, the fact you're listening to Alan's podcast instead of watching the news tells you, okay, yeah, you're making a choice for moving forward. I have two more questions, Randy. Uh, the first is, uh, if op if if uh, optimism is on a scale from one to 10, you know, 10 being totally optimistic, uh, where would you put yourself today? Eight, I think. Hmm? And is that a is that a downward, upward, or stable position for you? It's probably down. I probably used to be a ten. Uh, my last question is this: Where can people avail themselves of your materials, your help, find out more about you? Really, randygage.com. That's my Starfleet Command site, and that'll have the podcast, the blog, the pretty much everything. Was Starfleet was that Captain Kirk, or was that a different series? That was Captain Kirk, James T. Kirk. He had one. Was it Picard? Right? Was Picard the the guy there? For Picard was the next show where they did called Star Trek: The Next Generation. Picard had one of the great command lines of all time. He said, "Make it so." Yes, yes. <laughs> that's all I wished I could say. Make it so. Listen, Randy. Thank you for being here. Thanks for your constant energy. It's good to get together again. I wish you all the best. Thanks for having me on, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Peace, love, and unicorns. <laughs> You've been listening to The Uncomfortable Truth with Alan Weiss. For free access to Alan's newsletters, audio and video resources, and for information about his global events and coaching communities, please visit alanweiss.com. Thanks for listening. Keep the faith.